Welcome to Picks and Flicks. This is a podcast where myself, Stephen Pigeon, and my co-host, CJ Welsh, take games and movie pairings and discuss them to see if they work against each other in different ways. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of this land, of which we currently occupy, and pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode, we are looking at The Outer Worlds and Firefly. The Outer Worlds is a sci-fi role-playing game that came out in 2019, and Firefly is a Joss Whedon TV series that was cancelled just after one season that came out in 2002. This is now your full spoiler warning for both of these. If you, if you have not played The Outer Worlds or watched Firefly and the follow-up movie Serenity, we will be discussing them in depth. Further content warnings can be found in the show notes, but for now, let's get into it. Let's do it. I'm pumped. I'm ready. I'm excited. So before we before we kick this off, uh, Pigeon, you mentioned that you watched all of Firefly last night. So in a single sitting, you watched the whole show? I had watched, I think, the first four or five episodes. Because what, okay. what we agreed to is like we we agreed to do these uh, this pairing two weeks ago to give ourselves like the extra week to go through them. And I, I underestimated just how long it would take. Um, so I think in the first week I was playing them and watching them, but I, um, wasn't giving them as much time as I needed to budget for myself. So, um, it got around to, I think Wednesday or, or Thursday night and I was like halfway through the outer worlds. I'm like, shit, like I need to finish this game. <laughs> um, <laughs> the outer it's, it's a, it can be a very long game. It has, um, depending, depending has- on like how much you do as well. Right. So I ended yeah. up, um, uh, staying up all day and night, I think on Wednesday or Thursday, finishing that game. And I played, uh, I also did the murder on Eridanos DLC, but I didn't do Perils of Gorgon. I didn't, I didn't do either of the DLCs. This is going to be, you know how I shamelessly plugged Game Pass for the last like two, two episodes. So in this one, Outer Worlds is on Game Pass. It is, but the DLC isn't. So if you want to play it, you have to pay for it. And I was too cheap to do that. So I found my line (laughs) in the sand is that I loved Outer Worlds. I loved it so much. It's a great game. I played it twice. It's a great game, but I could not bring myself to pay. I think it was like 20 bucks just for the DLC. Because I sat there and went, I didn't pay for the game. Or I did, but I paid a subscription. So it doesn't feel like I bought it. And I was like, it feels weird if I own a $20 DLC, but not the main game. Because what happens when it disappears can, on can Game, you do Pass, that Game Pass? Can I just own the DLC? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I, so I, I, um, I thought it was weird. I didn't want to do that. I didn't I didn't have the DLC, but it was on sale on Steam. So I picked it up. Um, but then yeah, because of time, I only managed to play one of them. Um, yeah, I and then, And then Firefly, I'd watched the first five episodes. And um, I thought there were like 10 episodes in the season. Turns out there's 15. Um, okay, so this is really confusing. You said there's 15. There's only 14 listed. Oh, yeah, there, it is 14. Um, it's. I mean, we, we'll, we, we can get into that soon because that's a, that's a point I want to talk about. Um, but I ended up watching uh, the most of the season and the movie last night. And just, I mean, I had a great time because I'm just watching Firefly all day and it's a great show. I loved it. It, it is a good show, yeah. I think I, I definitely spaced it out. Uh, I ended up watching it with my wife. And I, she, she, she was like yeah, I really enjoyed that show. Let's watch it again. And we're, we're sort of vague. This is going to sound horrible given what's happened in recent years, but we're Joss Whedon fans, right? Which is like, oh, I can't be that anymore. And we're sort of not. I'm not a fan of the guy himself. I'm a fan of his work, right? It's also, um, I found too, watching Firefly, like if you if you didn't necessarily know that it was Joss Whedon, 
it's very much got like his fingers all through it. Like it feels like a Joss Whedon show. Which, which in the new context of Joss Whedon being a bit of a creep, that that phrase itself is a bit gross. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but it does. I did not it even. It does think have about his that. fingers all over it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's it's kind of <laughs> fucked up because I we started watching it, right? And I was like, wow, like this hasn't aged that well. There's some pretty fucked up shit in this. And part of it was um, the pilot, and we maybe we'll get into that, but I realized mm. that the pilot was clearly shot separately to the rest of the show. It was shot after the fact. There was a whole thing when the show came out with Fox. They aired the episodes out of order. Um, mm. They marketed, marketed it to the wrong audience and canceled it after one season. And then, like, and then, I'm not sure when exactly it happened, but I know um, the pilot was made um, not as the first. It wasn't the first thing that was made, and like, just mm. we didn't like did it as like this is the pilot I, that I wanted for the show. Um, oh, you're totally right. Yeah, I was just realizing that um, it it would it all aired out of order too. Yeah, which was really awkward, and that's part of why people get confused about the episode count because yep. of the yeah, wow. And um, Fox Fox also wanted to change a lot of, a lot of parts of the show too that Joss Whedon like was very stubborn on and didn't, which I think is probably a good thing that um, Joss Whedon was stubborn because I think some of the changes that I read about would have been really bad. Like, for example, um, Fox wanted uh, Nathan Fillion and Zoe to be a couple, not Zoe and Alan Tudyk. Mm. Um, they wanted the show to. Um, not be as dark as it is, but they wanted Nathan Fillion to kill more people. <laughs> I mean, he kills a fair few people. If yeah. he, I mean, may, maybe not compared to modern standards. He's no John Wick, but like in terms of this being like a TV series, and it, you have to remember that like back in the early 2000s, TV was different from movies in a big way, right? There was a huge difference between a TV show and a film. To see an anti-hero in the early 2000s Killing people on TV was like, what the fuck is happening? It was wild for the note to be like, we wanted to kill more people. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's interesting um, watching the show too. It, uh, like stylistically, not exactly the same, but thematically um, it reminded me of Guardians of the Galaxy a lot. There was definitely that. You know what, actually, uh, now that you bring that up, um, you can see a lot of the same bones in other Joss Whedon stuff. Yeah. So this idea of like the ragtag space crew, right? So, you know, he did, I think it was, um, I'm going to look this up before I make an idiot of myself. <laughs> I'm fairly certain he did uh, one of the Alien films, right? Nah, did he? I'm, I'm so sure he did. Hang on. Let me, let me check. Now that I've, now that I've said it, I'm going to like kick myself if I'm wrong. Cause now it's on the record. No, he did. He he, oh, did. I haven't I seen it. it. He did Alien Resurrection. He did Alien Resurrection. He didn't direct it. Uh, or maybe he did, but he definitely wrote it, right? Let me, he did let me the screenplay. Uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet directed it. Yeah, so he he wrote it, right? And so you can you can see the characters of like uh, Mal and Zoe are in that movie, hundred percent. Which um is that the third or the fourth Alien movie? It's the fourth one. It's the one that most people are like, it didn't happen because it's like it involves like clones and all sorts of crazy shit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and it was like, why is this in my Alien film? I haven't it was very watched weird. um Alien three and four because I heard those two are just not worth the time. They're probably not. I, I'm torn on that because I want to be like, watch it just for the fucking trip that you're going to have. Well, like, I it's mean, such a, it's a huge deviation from the first Alien film and the second Alien That's also the other film. thing too, right? Is like, I feel like now I want to watch everything just so I know what's what it's like and have the whole picture. Yeah. I, I would say it's worth it for that. I'm also now um, talking about Alien, uh, missing that we missed out on um, the Neil Blomkamp Alien. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Well, 
look, well, I'm on the fence with Neil Blomkamp. You say it would be amazing, but yeah. I don't believe you because I haven't enjoyed one of his films since District Nine. So I, I have to say, I don't know that he would handle Alien that well. And I think that the studio might have been right. Yeah, his latest movie came out and it's got shit reviews. Um, I, haven't, I haven't even I haven't even seen the trailer for it, but yeah, I was like, no, nah, I'm not interested anymore. I remember watching what was the one he did with Matt Damon, Elysium. Elysium, yeah, yeah, I watched that on a plane. When I was very tired, Man, so I probably had I something to do with it. But I that that was a very generic, like didn't grab my attention movie. I was disappointed by that because I really love the concept. Yeah. I really love the, the 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 conceit or the story engine for that, and I just hate the execution. It was not the film that I wanted from that universe at all. I haven't seen, but I, I want to check out Chappie because I think it looks pretty cool. Actually, I'll give you this: Chappie was funny in a fucked up way. I enjoyed Chappie. I did. It's a guilty pleasure. I would I, I wouldn't buy it. Like I didn't enjoy it enough to add it to my my Blu-ray collection, but I, I watched it and I was like, yeah, it's pretty funny. It's good. Um. Anyway, back to Firefly and Joss Whedon. Okay, okay. I gotta t- I gotta tell you something, right? I gotta tell you a funny story. I I laughed so hard when this happened. I I thought I was gonna bust a gut. Right? I was. It was so funny. So we I was looking at where to watch the two things. So you got Firefly and you got Serenity. Yeah. Right. And the film is considered separate, and the reason it's separate. It was made a couple of years after the, or at the very least released a couple of years after the show finished. So there's a big time gap um, and there's a different distributor. So what that means is that it's in different places online. So Firefly yeah. in Australia is on Netflix. No, it's not. It's on Disney Plus. Oh, it's on Disney Plus. There you go. It's on Disney Plus. Sorry. Uh, but the movie Serenity is on Prime, Amazon Prime. Yep. Right. And so it gets confusing. So I was looking for Firefly. I didn't know where to find it first. So I looked on Netflix, right? So we're searching for firefly and when you type in fire on netflix right we 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 just lost our shit immediately like sides leaving orbit laughing because there's a bunch of fireplace movies there's a bunch of movies on netflix (laughs) that are just fireplaces just crackling away and we fucking lost our minds because there's the classic and then there's the birchwood edition like they have a special release of just because i want to see birchwood when i watch a fire when i have an artificial fire in my house i demand the birchwood edition only i will not settle for regular (laughs) this is one of them one of them is listed as a season of tv and has like five episodes (laughs) what I because I didn't, I, I didn't look this up on Netflix because I googled Firefly and so it was on Disney Plus so I didn't see this but I actually knew about this from a while ago because um, like there's a trend on YouTube to have like those like multi-hour long videos for, like relaxing videos ones that I watch every now and then are like the the train videos that go throughout like Switzerland and all, all throughout Europe and it's just the front of the train it's just it's just a passive video it's really nice and then the other one is like fireplace stuff and then Netflix sees this and gets on it it's like yeah you can watch this five hour fireplace yeah. on netflix <laughs> it's so out of, i was like what the fuck did i just oh, stumble across i love I, crazy, I, I kind of love that they've done that i'm glad it's i'm glad it exists and, <laughs> and that i found it in the way that i did because i think if somebody had just been like oh yeah you can just set up fireplace on netflix i'd be like oh that's lame but because i found it in this like way it blew it. my mind i was like oh my god i've discovered something incredible <laughs> this is genius i should do this i should be making I should be filming my fire pit and just uploading it to Netflix. I can sell them a movie like you wouldn't believe. But here we, I'm like, I've, I've done this all wrong as a filmmaker. My career is a lie. I shouldn't be trying to get my next million dollar film up. No, 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 no. Instead, I'm just going to go around looking for 10 hour plus videos that I could film of just the same thing. And or just or like that. just uh, set up a live stream of like backyard of all the birds and the animals coming in. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh man. Anyway, I just had to bring that up. But but once I found it, yeah, you're right. So the I, I didn't realize this, and and part of what I wanted to uh, talk about is that the nature of Firefly is a little bit jank, right? Mm. Like it's 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 uh, not self-deprecating necessarily, but it knows that it's a bit shit. And it plays into that, right? So this idea of like space cowboy. It knows it's the underdog. It's the underdog, right? The show is the underdog. They're the underdogs in the show. There's like a meta level of the show is aware of itself enough to know that it can't take itself too seriously. Mm. So it, it's very careful with its serious moments because it can't have too many. It knows that it's a bit a bit of a joke. And so you've got to treat it in that way. And what I, what I found was fascinating is that the history of Firefly is a bit jank as well. So as we're saying, like it aired out of order. And when you look at it on Disney Plus and you look at the episode listing, it 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 plays the pilot first. It's like, mm-hmm. well, the pilot, the first episode is the first episode. But that's not how they aired. So I'm like, which is which is correct, do you think? Is it should you experience it in the way that it originally aired? Because that's how the original fans who were very vocal, that's how they saw it. Or like in that jumbled up episode order as well. Yeah. Or are we better off? Like, I can only assume that the order that it's on Disney Plus must be the order that Joss wants it in. Yeah, the the, the order that it's written, like the intended order for it. Right. So surely then he he had a decision there to say it should be in this order, mm. um, because that's the order that it shows up on like Wikipedia, right? So I'm like, there's there's been some discussion somewhere that said this is the correct order it is supposed to go in, and yet that doesn't it's it feels weird because if you watch the pilot and it's longer, it's like an hour and a half. It's or like something. a movie. I, I, had, like a movie. I had a whole thing about this too, right? So I knew um, that there was a movie for Firefly that was written and set after the fact called Serenity. And when I started mm. watching Firefly on Disney Plus and the first episode is an hour and a half and it's called Serenity, I was mm. really confused. I'm like, wait, is this the movie? Why is this episode one? Should I be waiting and watching this last? What's going on? And I did some Googling yeah. and and I figured out that like, it is actually just the, the pilot episode and the movie is also serenity but is separate so i i watched it in the order that's on disney plus but i was really confusing for for a minute for me because i i was like i knew about the movie and this is like this looks like the movie yeah and i mean this is this is fascinating because i when when i finally got to the movie oh my you oh. can see that where the budget went on that like that movie <laughs> is expensive yeah relative to that tv show they must have rebuilt some of those sets like we see parts of the set that we never saw in the show like they spent real money on that i thought it was really funny in the show too how they always uh like they go to different planets for different um deals and jobs and they always end up in the same new mexico desert yeah, or they're like, they're like, we can't go to town because it's dangerous or something. And you're like, oh yeah, so we're going to meet in the middle of nowhere in the outskirts. And it's like, if you panned left, just move the camera slightly left. Yeah. That's where they were last week. It's the <laughs> yeah. exact same spot. They didn't even pick a different part of the desert. It's identical. But like, but also I mean, that, that's that's um, for making on a budget. Like, yeah, that's that's part of its appeal. Like, it's it's the jank is real, and. I didn't I did, like I remember watching this when I was younger and I did not recall it being this rough and part of me thinks that that's because when this was released like HD wasn't a thing we did not watch yeah. this in 1080 when it first came out right so we're watching this on shitty TVs in like 480p at best and it would have it well, looked maybe it, 720 it was like what 2002 yeah do you think so I don't think it was I think it was 480 I think it was like I think it was like pre blu-ray quality it was DVD quality I don't think high def was a thing then isn't DVD meant to be 720p? No, it can be, but it's it's most things aren't. Because uh, remember, it was made for TV. It wasn't on a streaming yeah. platform. It wasn't the DVD release came later. So when you first watched it, if you watched it on television, right? And I remember, 
I'm going to remember this incorrectly. And someone in the in the comments, assuming that we have listeners, someone in the comments is going to be like, it wasn't on Channel 7, it was on Channel 9. I don't remember. It aired on TV in Australia I love, somehow. I love the very specific Australian free-to-air commenter. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's going to be one guy who remembers correctly and he's like, Sujo's full of shit. No, look, I definitely watched it on TV. I'm sure I did. Uh, and I just, I don't, I don't remember it looking this bad. And all I can think of is that either Netflix has a horror, oh, sorry, um, Disney has a horrible encode or... It, it really was shit quality. We just couldn't tell because it wasn't in high def. But the movie, Serenity, damn, it like it like cranks the visuals. They they knew what they were doing. Even for when that came out, that's some pretty damn good CGI. Those ship yeah. battles and stuff were impressive, man. I mean, the, the CGI in the TV show too, like hasn't aged. Like it's very much like mm. the CGI from the time it came out. But I think also because of the low budget um charm to the movie mm. i kind of like the the crappy cgi in it mm. well I think it that, yeah well. it works because and this is what i was saying about like it's a bit jank right like it 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 owns its own low budgetness and it embraces yeah. that and because of that it works when you look at um the remasters of like star trek so recently uh i say recently it's got to be within the last couple of years star trek the next generation and now deep space nine have been given a high def re- remake right or not remake but a uh, uh, remastering and what's fascinating is that they they never intended that so the vfx mm. aren't aren't in widescreen all the vfx shots for star trek the next generation are in four by three so when they remastered it in widescreen they had to remake all the cgi shit to make it widescreen they can't just they can't just extend the frame because it was never done that way. I remember hearing another thing about that too because I've never watched Star Trek. It's been on my list for ages, but like that specific remastering and because what they they're getting the film and getting the widescreen exactly. So the the film stuff looks amazing, but the CGI looks awful. It's so dated. Wasn't it also though like because because when they filmed it because they filmed it with it. Um, being shown in four three in mind, so yeah. all the framing in that is in four three. So th- so there's shots at the edges of the screen in widescreen with this, this crew standing around because they weren't originally in shot. Well, they, they did fix, all, they fixed all of that. As far as I'm aware, there's no more okay. crew or any of that sort of stuff. They fixed all that. But what they couldn't fix was the VFX. So when they go to these like space shots, the ship sort of just hits the bit of the screen where four by three would have ended and then just disappears. It just, <laughs> it just cuts off. And so they were like, ah, shit, we have to go back and redo all that. And they can't just like, you, it's like if it's really hard to explain without a visual metaphor, but yeah, you can't just paint on the end of the ship. It doesn't work that way. So the CGI aged really poorly on that. Whereas for something like Firefly, because they knew that they were a bit rough around the edges, the CGI is a bit rough around the edges. So when you lift everything into a higher definition, it looks a bit shit, but you're like, no, but the whole show looks right. It feels cohesive. It doesn't take you out of it. When the show released, the CGI was like, like good for its time. Oh, it was amazing it? for its time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like it's like now watching it back, like fifteen or mm. whatever years later. It's like it's it's dated, but it works in its favor. I think that's part of the reason it got cancelled was it was so fucking expensive, and it had like a very small view. You you got to think now, right? If you made Firefly now, I mean, you got two things to look at. If you made Firefly exactly like it is, but in the year twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two, like you made it next year, it would be expensive as fuck. It would have to look really good or you embrace the shitness and then it's garbage and nobody watches it because if that was competing with like the expanse no way no way yeah oh yeah right but if you made firefly on the budget of the expanse maybe it's a fucking banger because the whole the story of it is great the anti-hero the ragtag group of yeah. misfits they're adventuring yeah. around space i love that i love that job that it still works right it's just that they could only get away with the quality that they had then they couldn't go any better 
and you couldn't make it more serialized in the early 2000s because we weren't doing high budget serialized TV. It wasn't a thing. Like this is around the time that you started to get stuff like The Sopranos really buy into this super high yeah. budget HBO level TV, right? But stuff like Game of Thrones and The Expanse didn't exist back then. We had no concept when, um, that you could do million dollar episodes in TV. When did the first season of Sopranos air? Uh, that's a great question. I'll find out for you right now. I remember, I remember watching The Sopranos uh, with my dad as it came out. Um, so I remember it was early 2000s. Yeah, here we go. So it started in 1999. So it's, it's, it, oh, it, wow. it okay. lived in the same era as yeah. Firefly, right? But it's like, that's what I mean is that like HBO was such premium content versus regular TV. So like Firefly yep. was competing with like uh, Stargate and um, maybe Farscape. It was in that realm. It was, it was janky mm. B-grade sci-fi and we knew that and it was fine because that's what we could do on tv we couldn't do high budget sci-fi on tv you had to do that in movies yeah because if you were doing sci-fi on tv you were doing star trek and so having firefly be this like wild western cowboys in space type janky vibe felt weird and new and exciting and it was like oh it's so different and I'm like, okay, I'm going to finally tie this into the Outer Worlds. We're like 37 minutes in and we haven't tied I mean, it in. I still, ha- I still have so many other points in Firefly too. I know. I also have stuff to tie in. <laughs> so so the, the, the tie-in here is that the Outer Worlds is the same janky space cowboy vibe. It's also like the same plot and the same characters. It pretty much is. Like, yeah, well, I, maybe I, not. So is is Wash the, the AI for the ship then? Um... Oh, maybe. I mean, like, maybe not that specifically, but what stood out to me is, um, so both both Firefly and the Outer Worlds is like, uh, like for lack of a better word, it's a little bit different in each, but like Earth has abandoned, uh, the human race has gone to the edges of the galaxy to, to go to other planets and find new life. You've got your ragtag team of recruits on your shitty spaceship. Like the spaceship in the Outer Worlds is the unreliable. Um, oh, that's right. It's actually so- called the unreliable. I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, uh, like Haley is the engineer in um, Firefly in the Outer Worlds. You have Pavati, who's true, all, yeah. Like, like the character types. I would say, yeah, so yeah, the archetypes are there, yeah. Um, specific story, not necessarily, but there's definitely like recurring themes. Well, like I, I, much, yeah, like much more so than I expected. Much more so. I think I was okay. So I, I, I played the Outer Worlds fully when it launched, right? Because of course, again, shameless yep. plug. When it launched, it was free on Game Pass as a launch title so i dove straight in i was like this is sick i love i love rpgs i love a bit of space space jank let's do it and i of course uh as as is the true cliche uh i white knighted my way through my whole first playthrough i was the ultimate paragon all good decisions had to keep everybody alive didn't rip anyone off didn't steal anything i was the goodest good boy that was possibly in that game right what did you do for your tell your intelligence oh i don't even remember you know it would have been it was so long ago now that i don't even remember but i had I, I, I always, when I play through my first playthrough in RPGs, I always value cranking the charisma or the personality first yeah. because it opens up the best dialogue options. And that's that's my favorite thing. Well, I, you say that. Here's what I did because, um, and this is there's going to be a whole other thing. So the, the developers for the Outer Worlds are the same developers who did Fallout New Vegas and uh, the creative director, who I'm forgetting his name, so I'm quickly just going to Google it. Leonard Boyarski alongside Tim Kaine. So Tim Kaine was a creative director for the original Fallout games. Yeah, 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 yeah. And one of the things in the original Fallout games is you can, if you put your intelligence stat on your character really low, uh, all your dialogue is gibberish and is dumb. 
In the outer worlds, if you set your intelligence to the lowest stat, you unlock dumb dialogue options. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Now I'm going to have to play it through again. That's fascinating. So I, so I played through with a really dumb, like, stealth character, and just every opportunity I could, I went with, like, the, the stupid option. Um, <laughs> I, took, I took all the flaws that came up during gameplay um, oh, <laughs> and this made, this made my character the, the biggest dumbass. That saves the that saves the human race. Saves the human race. That's that's actually okay. So that's a really interesting thing to bring up. So the flaws, I think, are something that make it very similar to Firefly. The fact that you can have character flaws, and like for yeah. anyone listening who has no idea what we're talking about, the flaw system in in Outer Worlds is amazing because the game will generate you a bargain, and it will say you've you've taken fall damage a bunch of times you've got bad knees now mm. if you if you accept that flaw and you don't have to you can say no but if you choose to say yeah all right my character's got shit knees because i keep jumping off stuff it will give you an experience point and you can now unlock a new new perk so you now have a you now have a bargain right in exchange for shit knees and no longer being able to sprint you can unlock a different perk somewhere else and it's yeah. a way to get extra perk points right I think it's brilliant because you end up with a character who is flawed. Yeah. And I'm like, that's such an interesting, and it is a space janky space cowboy thing. He's not perfect. Much like Malcolm Reynolds, pilot, captain of the Serenity. Your character is not perfect. He might actually be the dumbest idiot with bad knees in the galaxy, but you can still save the day that way. You can still be a hero. I figured because I was making a dumb character in the game, whenever those flaws were presented to me as an option, I'd take him. You got to take him. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, I, I ended up getting like concussed too many times from explosives, so I got that flaw. I um I used uh, the health stim pack drug equivalent too many times, so then I got a flaw that I I suffer withdrawal effects. Oh, that's true. You can become like a an addict to the to the health potion. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I, I, to me that really does tie into to Firefly in that like they the similarities they share is that you know you don't have to be a perfect hero to save the day. You know, it is it is that anti-hero. You can you don't have to play as the White Knight character. You don't have to play as truly good. You can play you can be an evil murderer. Yeah. My second playthrough, oh my god, it was such a great moment. I you know the very first planet you're at, and you yeah. know that the guy that you first meet who's got you know, it's like the whole the bargaining happening where he's like, right, if you want the thing that I've got, you're gonna have to go do this favor for me. I was just like, no, I know how this plays out. Fuck you. And I just shot him. I killed him in the middle of the room. Yeah. I killed the guards and that Pavati is your, your, your first companion who you meet for the very first time in that encounter was like, Oh my God, what have you done? And I was like, it's chill, bitch. I saved you. Everybody relax. And she was like, <laughs> Oh my God, you're a nightmare. And I'm just sitting there going, Oh, have I just like terrified this poor woman into not joining my crew? Can you Does finish the game you? without a crew? You can. But yeah, she ended up she ended up joining me because I ended up talking my way out of it only because I had such a high charisma. I was able to be like, no, I knew how it was going to go and I saved you. And she was like, okay, well, let's not do murdering again. And I was like, sure, totally. But I did a bunch more murdering. But it was it was so funny because... <laughs> but I did more murdering. <laughs> I did more murdering. I like fully, I went the complete polar opposite to my original run and was like, you know what? I know exactly how this plays out if you play the good guy. What happens if I embrace my anti-hero nature? So yeah. I wasn't like evil. I didn't just go wanton murdering, but it was like anytime somebody was like, oh, I'm doing a bad thing, but for the right reasons, I'm like, yeah, you're chill. Or if somebody was like, I'm doing the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, I'm like, ah, it's a gray area. But then I'd come across stuff where I'd be like, nah, you can go. We're done with you as a character. And I just kill him. And the thing about the game is that it doesn't break the game to do that. 
there's like i think there's like three characters maybe that you're not supposed to kill and the game just blocks you from doing that like there's certain places that you just can't get into because to kill that character at that point would would fundamentally break the story but there's so much you can do and the game accommodates everything else right yeah it's like this whole thing of of we don't want to limit your choices because the story that you're telling doesn't have to be a good or a bad story you you can do this story in a way that feels right to you even if that's a bit fucked up you can be malcolm reynolds in in the outer worlds that's also the whole thing of it being a role-playing game is it's up to you to play how you want and and be Mm. whatever character that you want to be and isn't that the ultimate freedom that malcolm reynolds was chasing captain reynolds mal in firefly He's yeah. just trying to be left alone by the government, right? And I think that that's actually both of these things. So, like after having fought in a war. Yeah. When did Outer Worlds come out? It was like a couple twenty nineteen. Right? So two years ago. Okay. So then yeah, you've got recent. Firefly from two thousand and two, and Outer Worlds from twenty nineteen have the same sort of late stage capitalist Wild West space setting, where mm. you know, in in the case of Firefly, the Alliance, right, is this parliamentary big government. Like almost like Firefly is like trying to be libertarian, like don't tread on me. So they're like anti-corporate, but they're really anti-government, right? They're anti-big government. Whereas Outer Worlds is the exact same thing, but now it's corporations instead of big government. The corporations are the government. And I'm like, to me, it's identical. It's just that over time, we as a society have realized that governments are inept or, or incapable. And it's actually corporations that are the big evils. And it's like, wow, it's the exact same, like you said, it's the same story, same setting, just executed slightly differently and i'm like man i until i sat down to actually do this i didn't realize how closely linked firefly and outer worlds actually are but it it feels like a spiritual continuation because i thought the pairing would be like it's they're both like um sci-fi space like cowboy western uh pairings i thought Mm. like that'll be a good thing to talk about but then they were were very a lot more like 100 percent similarly aligned than i expected i was like oh this is like like I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Outer Worlds took a lot from Firefly as their sources of inspiration and reference points. Yeah, totally. I mean, you don't see it in things like the uh, the spaceship design as much, but certainly some of the settings. Yeah. I mean, I, I my second playthrough, my more recent one, I basically did like a, a mini speed run. Right. I didn't worry about the side quests. I was like, I know what the side quests are. Let's just let's just get to the good bits, and that opens up some really interesting dialogue and some really interesting things. But you end up at like spaceport and you're like oh yeah that looks very similar to what i've seen in firefly or you end up in like you know the uh the the hazardous planet where it's like a bit uh there's monsters and stuff everywhere yeah. I forget what it's called um monarch i think it is uh, yeah i think it is monarch mm. and i was like sitting there like oh wow like it looks like it's all these beautiful vegetation and it's very pretty and it's like all this stuff and all i could think was like yeah this could have been a planet on firefly where like all we see for a split second is there's monsters out there, but we never actually go that way. The show couldn't afford that Wouldn't budget. It, yeah. Whereas so, Outer Worlds can, so we can do that. That would have also been thing. Like, imagine if Firefly kept going for more seasons and they got that budget and they were able to go to Alien Worlds. Okay, so this is this is okay. I want to bring this up because this this I I melted my brain. I'm hoping that either you can fix this for me or that someone in the comments, one of our many many listeners, is going to hear this and go, oh, "I know the answer to that." It appeared to me in the serenity movie that the whole show takes place in a single solar system at the very beginning they seem, seem to like imply that. yeah that it was that the, the 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 earth was ruined and we found a new solar system with like 20 planets and that we, ter- we and, that, and that they exist them. in that solar system right so it was one solar system but the tv show seems to imply that they have a whole galaxy to explore that they're going much further than a solar system well, and i'm like the, which is in it? the movie as well uh like when they go past like 
um, the Reaver territory to the outer planets there. Like, I thought... Because I thought Reavers were, like, the edges of the galaxy, not the solar yeah, system. not the solar system. And it feels weird that, that they... I don't know if they retconned it or if we just didn't understand it well, properly in this TV show, a, but, like... Lot, with the movie, they, they did a lot more extra stuff. Like, um, conveniently, as a new plot device, River can be shut down with this code word, um, which, like, wasn't yeah. anywhere in the show. Actually, do you know what? This this reminds me... Uh, I did write this down. The, the, the film seems to assume that there's been five seasons of Firefly and that you've seen them all. There's a bunch of character arcs and plot lines that just sort of come out of nowhere, but they're not handled like a quick, mm. here's what's going on. They're just like, a, do you remember that thing that happened? And everyone goes, yeah, totally. And we're like, what? I don't remember that. Well, here's another thing too on that note, because in the in the show, um, a couple of times they mentioned that they've been on the Firefly and they've been flying around for a year um, mm. since, since like they got on in the first episode. Uh, in... The movie, I think River mentions that that she's been on the on Firefly the Serenity for eight months. Yeah, right. Like that's so. Like even then, like yeah. like it should be a year if you're following from what the TV show said. said. So they're kind of contradicting themselves, but then also like pretending that they've kept doing ragtag adventures. Yeah, maybe maybe this is part of the jank where we just have to embrace it and go, eh, it'll it don't it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. The the, the movie is actually um like in a lot of those small details quite inconsistent. Um, mm. but it's it's still really good. Also, they they murdered my boy Alan Tudyk. I know, but you know what? I think he, that he's my fa- he's my favorite character. <laughs> he he's by far. I, oh, look, I, unpopular opinion. I think he's the best character in the show as well. He he doesn't get as many lines as all the other characters, but when he does, and I think it's just Alan just stealing the show. Right, every scene yeah. he's in, he just owns that scene. And I remember watching the movie, and it's like it's got to be the second or third time I've seen this film. And I remember pointing out to Kathy, I was like, hang on a minute. Wash has said like five things in this whole movie up to this point. He has yeah. like no lines. And then suddenly he gets this massive scene and then dies immediately afterwards. And I was like, what a ripoff. But it also, I realized it's part of what solidified Wash as a character. If he hadn't died, then he really only has like five lines and that big scene. And that's it. That's him for the whole movie. Well, I mean, even if you take away the movie in the TV show, he's, he's also a standout for me. Uh, you remember the torture episode with him and Mal? Yeah. And like like that to me was like, that's his shining moment because that's him standing. And this, okay, this is like film terminology, right? But he's standing toe to toe with Nathan Fillion and he's crushing it. He's absolutely holding his own. And you realize like in the show, they're sort of telling you the same thing. They're like, yes, Wash is the pilot. But look, if you put him in a room with Malcolm Reynolds, he is a capable character. He can get through this. He can do things. Mm. He's useful. He's not just a guy who says some quippy lines and flies the ship, which is great because in the rest of the show, he does basically nothing. That episode was interesting too because like uh, in terms of the writing, because like the whole show so far is showing Wash and Zoe as this loving husband and wife couple. Um, and then at the start of that episode, all of a sudden they're having issues and he's jealous of Nathan Fillion. Yeah, again, you're like, did this build up over time that we didn't see? <laughs> yeah. It comes out of nowhere, like, for the sake of that episode plot, which I yeah. thought was interesting. I wrote this down, right? The melodrama in the film is so intense, and it's just not earned <laughs> at all. Like, like yeah. they haven't earned the... This is what I was saying about the TV show. It's because it's a movie now. <laughs> yeah, it's like a movie. They were like, all right, it's a movie. We've got to crank the drama. Just really just eat it up. And I'm like, you haven't earned it. You've got this villain who talks like he's in a fucking Shakespeare play. Like he's yeah. so wordy and ridiculous. 
And then you get these scenes where, like, he's doing this ridiculous stuff and you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Why have we never seen the Alliance super spies up until this moment? Right. It was like, what? I feel like the characters that are retconned that they turned into his character were the two, like, agents in the show that are, that are chasing them. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Like, like the two, like, men in black. Yeah. And then they and then they change it to the, to the new guy in the movie. Um, yeah. We, we, missed, so, we missed a few seasons where... Uh, they they overcame the first bad guys and then this guy showed up. Also, the, that that guy in the movie is obsessed with swords. Yeah, for like no reason, <laughs> which I also think is great because that's the, it's very similar to Outer Worlds. You can use swords. Why? Why are they using swords in Space Cowboy World? It doesn't make sense. But I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'm into it. Give me a give me a vibro blade and uh, let me chop some stuff up. Another point too for the world building with Firefly, which I thought was um, an interesting take, was imagining like the sci-fi future where it's the two earth superpowers kind of combined into a new culture which is america and china mm. but, but you know what that, all, all the all the main characters are still just white they're all still white and they don't they don't lean into the chinese they only use it for swearing and they don't use subtitles so if you're chinese you can hear what they're saying but if you're not too bad and i was like well that hardly feels like you're you're handling it appropriately does no, that doesn't. mean that in the far future the superpowers of China and the United States of America have somehow formed, and it's, you know, there's a backstory somewhere written down that explains this, that it's called the Sino Alliance or something like that, right? The the, mm. the Anglo-Sino Alliance. And that's the Sino Alliance is the government. That's the parliament they keep talking about. That's the big evil government. But it's like in the show, that's not explained. And then you've got this weird situation where they only ever speak Chinese during these super dramatic or, or, or intense moments of swearing. I'm like, what does that say about the 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 Chinese contribution to society at that point? Like, it's meant to be like, oh, we're post-race, but it's like, you're not, oh, are you? You're being like, Chinese is the dirty language. You're saying, excuse my French, but it's excuse my Chinese. Like, come on, man. Yeah, it feels very weird and, and a little bit icky. Mm. Um, also, another just like funny side note that I noticed in the movie. So in the movie, they have serenity, like the word and the Chinese um, mm. typing for it on the ship. And as soon as I saw it, it I, I, it's like the same thing as noticing Comic Sans to me. Serenity was written in papyrus. Yeah. <laughs> the same font. That's the that's the Avatar movie. Have you title have you seen well. that skit with um, with Ryan Gosling? Yeah. God, that's yeah. so funny. That's so funny to but me. Like it really like that that typeface. Whenever I see it everywhere, it's also on like every cafe and bakery. Yeah. Um, I saw that and I lost my shares. Like, of course, they went for that. <laughs> man oh man this actually so talking about this um the weirdness of the far future being a bit shitty right mm. one one thing that i absolutely loved talking about like this idea of low budget sci-fi but executed really well it really stood out to me that there's an episode early on where they're playing pool at the beginning of the episode and yeah. it's like digital pool right and the, all they had to do for this is for any aspiring filmmakers out there who were like how do i do this incredibly high budget concept blah 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 they sold me on a completely futuristic holographic pool table by shooting on a real pool table and mm-hmm. having like two glitches where the balls sort of phase in and out. And, and then the they added weird sound there. effects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They added like a digital sound effect when the ball went in the pocket. That was it. And I was like, oh, it's, it's sci-fi future pool. That's all they had to do. So like they took out the sound that the actual balls would have made and yeah. put in like the zoo, zoo. That kind of thing. Genius. Absolutely genius. I was like stuff like that where I'm like, they really did this on a budget, like a low budget. Somebody yeah. was like, they need to be hanging out in a bar on a, on a cowboy planet in the future. What do, what do space cowboys do? They do the same thing that they do now. They play pool. They just do it with a holographic system. 
they they I, I they do they do this a lot where um they're really leaning into that right so we had that we had um the episode where they're like trading cows and it was like, why are cows still a thing in the far future? But it's like, oh, because we have space travel, but we haven't figured out how to like make lab-grown meat yet. You know, so was like, what? <laughs> there were so many things that you I looked at and went, there's been so much uh, technological advancement and so much social change in between the early 2000s and now that it makes no sense to me that the future looks like this. They're like, they're like heaps misogynistic. And I'm like, why? Why is this? And it was like, because the early 2000s were misogynistic. Joss Whedon, it turns out, huge misogynist this whole time. All all of the women characters um, that he... Uh, I mean, I haven't seen everything that he's done. Like, I haven't, I haven't watched mm. Buffy. But in Firefly, at least, like, most of the characters on the ship are, like, attracted to Nathan Fillion. Um, they're pretty, like, overly sexualized, except maybe the mechanic. Um, but even she, even she gets a couple episodes where she's she's got some naughty stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but it, you, you're, you're totally right in that, like, it... it looking back at it we're like wow Joss Whedon is such a progressive feminist and now by our standards we're like holy shit he's a piece of shit and it turns out like you know all these stories and allegations came out like I haven't looked into whether half this stuff is true but oh my god when you rewatch stuff like Buffy or Firefly through the through the modern lens you're like oh he's never I haven't actually looked at the specific allegations about him um, I just like heard about all this stuff and I'm like oh I'll probably look into that at some point but I don't really want to like dive into that right now I think the interesting thing for me is that he always positioned himself as such a feminist. And it was always mm. like, you know, look at look at Buffy. It's a strong female lead. Look at Firefly. We got Zoe. She's a strong female lead. What about River? She's a strong female so lead. like my specific vision and what I want to see. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, okay. But he keeps calling uh, Inara a whore. Like multiple, multiple times in the show. He calls her out for sex work. And I'm like, I don't get it, man. Like, aren't you supposed to be a progressive feminist? Sex work is work. But, it, but it's like, because in early 2000s, we didn't see it that way. The whole episode, well, actually there's multiple episodes with the Christina Hendricks character, whose name I forget, but she she's like the uh, the wife of Mal. You know, they get married at some, uh, she, he didn't understand that she was getting betrothed to him. And then she turns out to be a criminal and it's like, oh, okay. So on one hand, she's this soft, innocent character who's like, oh, we're married now. I'm going to be such a good wife to you. And you're like, oh, that's weird. And then the next minute she's like evil and taking advantage of him. And you're like, oh my God, what? It's so weird to watch those episodes now and be like, wow, this writing is ham-fisted. Whoa. So so I, I wondered, right, it is ham-fisted, but it's early 2000s and we, we were definitely more misogynistic in the early 2000s. TV in general was more misogynistic, right? So maybe it's possible, and again, not, not being a Joss Whedon apologist or, or, or saying he's bad, whatever, right? I'm very much on the fence on that one. I'll leave it for everybody else to figure out. But is it possible that Firefly helped instigate some of these conversations, these early conversations about misogyny in, in TV and in, in uh, writing and science fiction in particular? Oh, in terms right? of like um, how it is like for the plot and the show and the themes? Yeah. So like, is it possible that um, Firefly is like testing some of the waters that we're now fully immersed in, right? This idea of like the onboard sex worker Looking at it now, I'm like, wow, it's so fucked up that like Mal calls her a whore and like mm. he treats her like shit just because she's a she's a high class escort and all this sort of stuff. But now I'm like, okay, only by our modern standards does that seem fucked up. In the early 2000s, that was super progressive to have a live-in escort on board the ship as a plot point. Like, I don't think I've seen that anywhere else on TV at that point. Like that plot point too is um, she's a well-respected bona fide companion. Um which is yeah. like not then like that point isn't specifically about um 
sex work, I believe. I think it's more like uh, like having her, having her gives you access to like other areas, so you can talk to different people and have access to that kind of network. Yeah, totally. But which I thought which I thought was which was interesting, even though like she was primarily a sex worker. Yeah, it was like it was like the the other elements to that. But I think it was interesting because I'm like my point is it was handled really weirdly and yeah. it felt fucked up now. But at the time, it didn't feel fucked up. I don't remember watching that and going, "Oh, that's pretty inappropriate." And so I'm like, is it possible that we look back on some of this stuff and go, ooh, that's problematic. But actually, at the time, it was super progressive and we wouldn't be having some of the conversations we're now having without that. Well, you, Again, well, you know, um, not being a Joss Whedon apologist, but it is worth looking at and going, somebody had to test those waters. And given that most filmmakers at the time were, were misogynistic men, is it not more than likely that the early work in forging that territory and forging a path out of there was going to be from someone who was a misogynistic blah, 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 right? Another point that uh, the, uh, with what you're talking about with testing the waters and and handling female characters with Joss Whedon is Age of Ultron. Because mm. um, he, he did that movie and uh, Black Widow, um, in, like one of her plot points in that movie is she feels like a monster, not because of all the brainwashing and the murdering and everything she's done, but she feels like she's a monster because she can't have a baby. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's like, and and that that writing was just like, are you fucking kidding? I remember that that I don't know if it necessarily got a pass. I'm sure people were talking about it at the time and they were pretty mad about it. But the I mean, every, vast- every time it comes up in conversation, people are pretty pissed off about it. Yeah, but I remember when the film was coming out that it wasn't a thing. Like people were like, oh my god, this movie made so much money. Like Ultron was such a good villain. Like I remember very different discussions. But then it was like, yeah, fast forward five years and it was like, wait, yeah, they really mishandled. Oh, not even mishandled. They they flubbed and fucked up the character development for her in that. And I do like that the Black Widow film got a chance to sort of revisit that and, and fix it. Yeah. But again, I, I, I do wonder if like, would we have ended up with the Black Widow film that we have if they hadn't done that to her in Age of Ultron and we now had had reason to have that discussion? Because like, imagine, imagine if that hadn't happened and Black Widow just remained as like a B character in this wider art. She has no major powers and her backstory is that she had some secret shadowy government thing turn her into a super assassin, right? Mm. You're like, okay, is that a story that's worthy of its own film? Maybe not. But the fact that he opened this can of worms of going like, oh, well, they also sterilized her and it's given her all the psychological fucked upness. Now there's a whole discussion happening after the film is released about whether that was appropriate or not. And we all went, oh, we don't think it was appropriate. So now we have a reason to make a new movie where we really give her character a chance to shine. So basically what I'm saying is, would I don't know the answer, but would she have been given a chance to really shine as a character without having had that fumble so bad? Or would she just have been relegated to like B character who just shows up occasionally? Like would her sacrifice in, in Avengers Endgame have meant mm. as much if we didn't know more about her as a character at that point? If she was still just it's super a, assassin girl. It is an interesting point too, because I know um, fans were like wanting and campaigning for a Black Widow movie, like when the first Avengers mm. came out. Um, and like, they've now finally done it so many years later. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, yeah, what, what did you think about the, the sacrifice point in Endgame as well? I mean, I thought it was good, but it again, it was handled weirdly because uh, maybe I'm misreading this, right? But it felt to me, like she was intentionally sacrificing herself because Clint has a family and she doesn't. And so like her sacrifice was somehow uh, more appropriate. 
And I'm like, I get that, mm. but I also think that that sort of flies in the face of what the Soulstone sacrifice was about. I also kind of thought that um, Clint should have been the one to be sacrificed, especially after, especially after like his uh, like five year. Yeah, page. it would have been like the ultimate atonement for him, and also he has a family who got dusted, so it would make way more sense for him to be like, they're already gone for me. I'm I'm gonna go so that they can live. Him living after that whole thing is just like, okay, so you get to do a murderous rampage and you get your family back? What the fuck, and bro? And now he has a TV show as well. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense. All I can all I can hope is that the upcoming Hawkeye TV show is going to explain that he is like so traumatized and PTSD from the fact that he went on an unnecessary murdering spree for years is going to mm-hmm. be why he has to retire and give it over to his daughter. And the big lesson will be that um, she has to not end up like him. She's going to be as good as him, but not be like completely torn up about um getting revenge or something like that and i i I think it's i think it shouldn't have been her i think it should have been him but i can also see that like disney was probably looking at it going ah we can do so much more with the character of hawkeye what can we really do with her ongoing what is her character and this is what i mean about like would she have gotten her own film if we didn't want to explore her more and we only wanted to explore her more because of the way her character was handled if she had been hawkeye and been a B character who was in it and just showed up occasionally and had a couple of good lines, would we have cared about her enough to do a movie? I don't know. I don't know if we would have. Did Just Whedon do um, the first Avengers movie as well? Uh, I think so, yeah. We can look that yeah, one up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of like how many Marvel movies he's done. Let's have a look here. He did... Uh, no, I think he might have written others, but he didn't. he only directed... Uh, Age of Ultron. He he directed an no, episode of the, the Avengers Agents as well. One. Which one? He did, he did the first Avengers as well. He directed it. I'm not seeing that on his directing credits. The Avengers 2012 uh, director Joss Whedon. Wait, really? Oh, why is that called Avengers Assemble? I okay. So for those listening at home, we're going to keep this bit in here. I just clicked on uh, the IMDb for Joss Whedon, and I clicked on Avengers Assemble. I have never seen the first Avengers film called avengers assemble i've literally never seen that it's not on the blu-ray i haven't seen it on the poster nowhere as far as i'm aware that film is called the avengers it looks like that's changed because on imdb it now says avengers assemble and then down the bottom there it's got original title the avengers when did this happen really i thought because i i do vaguely remember avengers assemble being a being a name that was around oh when my it god out. are we having a uh are we having a berenstain bears moment did we just uh, did we just have a Mandela effect? Did we j- have I crossed into an alternate universe without realizing? And that film was always called Avengers Assemble because I do not well, remember. I, I think I think it was always primarily called the Avengers, but I remember like another thing about it was Avengers Assemble because in the movie, one of the characters, uh, I think um, uh, he never Captain says America, it. He never says it. He does in Endgame though. Yeah, he does, and that's why it was such a big deal that he says it in Endgame yeah. because he never said it. They cut it right before he said it in the original. Uh, the I don't think I don't think any character has specifically said it before Endgame. Actually, no, they haven't. That's why it was such a huge deal because that's Captain America's catchphrase as the leader of the Avengers in the comics. Avengers assemble, and they never said it. So comic book fans were like blue balled to the max up until Endgame, <laughs> where he finally said it, and all the portals open, and everyone in the cinema was like, "Wow!" Like losing their minds. That was the collective mental jizz of like a million million <laughs> nerds all at once from that line. I know they didn't say it earlier because the orgasm would not have been as intense otherwise. They had to edge us for like 10 years. What a, what, what a, what a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You guys can have that. You can <laughs>
Um, Let me figure this out. I can't find this. I'm Googling it. When did they change the name? Oh, I have another I have another note from Firefly, actually. Fuck? I'm curious to see if you uh, notice the same thing I did. Hang on here. You're, you're moving on. I'm not ready to move on. You have... <laughs> this is melting my brain. I feel like I must have had a coma for a little while here. How did I not know that they had changed the name of this film? Is it changed on the Avengers on IMDb for me is just coming up as the Avengers. If I if I buy it on Blu-ray, what is it called? Yeah, it's called The Avengers. I'm not crazy. The film is called The Avengers or Avengers, yeah. comma, The. That's what it's called. IMDb is full of shit, man. Avengers. Well, uh, IMDb for me is just saying The Avengers. Okay, go to Joss Whedon's IMDb, click on his director credits. And it says Avengers Assemble. And if you click through to the film from there, it comes up as Avengers Assemble, original title of the okay. Avengers. I'm losing my mind. This is crazy. Director. It just says the Avengers for me. What? Hang on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you my screen. What is happening? Um, are we looking at the same movie? What? And sorry, that's OBS. Here we are. Joss Whedon. Yeah. Director. Uh, Avengers Edge of Ultron Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The Avengers 2012 whoa we have two different IMDb's and it's just The Avengers whoa what is going on (laughs) oh my god dude I'm freaking out I'm freaking out I'm connected to a different part of the internet what is going on let me uh, I'm going to show you mine so you don't think I'm lying check this out ready look at that Avengers Assemble original title The Avengers what the hell okay I'm going to I'm going to Google now Avengers Assemble yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to cut out most of this from the podcast. Oh, dude, don't cut it out. This is crazy. I've un- we've uncovered a conspiracy. This is nuts. They're trying to hide the truth. Avengers Assemble is a TV series. Man, I'm so confused. What is happening? That came out in 2013, so a year after the Avengers. Right? And yet the IMDb page that I'm looking at is 2012, 2 hours and 30 minutes runtime. That's what it is. I wonder if that's a bug because I'm now also on the IMDb for Avengers Assemble TV series 2012 to 2019. The poster is like very, very specifically looking like the Avengers movie, but it's it's the TV version. Madness. Absolute madness. Okay. Okay. We've got we to move on. We're going to move on. But this is nuts. Okay. okay. We're moving on. We're moving on. Well, I'm curious to see um, if you notice another thing I did. So in the Firefly episode, I think it's called Safe. Where they go, and at the start, it's got um, young Simon and young River. Young Simon is played by a very young Zac Efron. I did notice that. I did notice that. Um, Kathy and I were both like, oh my God, look at that. And I thought it was fascinating. I, I, I didn't realize that. And then I looked up his IMDb and he'd been in a bunch of stuff at a young age. Mm. This, is, this is before he did High School Musical. Yeah, he was, he was like a Disney darling. Uh, mm. I don't know if he was necessarily a Disney kid. He wasn't in the same... Uh, he he wasn't in like a, a lot of the Disney shows, yeah. But he like the High School Musical series is what kicked him off. Yeah, he was in High School Musical, and I think that um, looking at it now, right, and like the other characters, I don't other than maybe Nathan Fillion, I think it's safe to say that he's the most famous person in uh, in Firefly. Yeah, because like I mean, I know Alan Tudyk is a standout for me, but he's also like very closely related to Nathan Fillion in that in that sense. Mm. Um, they've both gone on to do great things but nowhere near the level of Zac Efron oh also the actor who plays Jane Adam Baldwin the the lesser known of the Baldwin brothers yeah and apparently he was one of the main instigators for Gamergate Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, man. Um, which I didn't know until I I looked it up last night. <laughs> he's a he's a fascinating guy. He um he played a major role in a TV show from the last few years called The Last Ship, and it's a not oh, look. I'm gonna shit on this TV show. There's gonna be fans that are gonna be like, shut up, it's a great show. I'm sure it's a great show. Whatever. I didn't like the conceit. I didn't like the execution. Whatever. Right. But he's amazing in it. And all I could think of was, in my mind, it's in the same continuity. The last ship takes place in the same timeline as Firefly, just way earlier. It's like it's like that's the event oh, that causes cool. Earth to be abandoned. And so his character in the last ship is like the great 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 grandfather of Jane in Firefly. I'm like, I choose to believe that. It just feels right to me. You know what else I thought about? I think there's this whole sub element of the character of River played by Summer Glau, who has all this stuff about like, oh, she's psychic. There's other people's memories in her head. There's oh, memories that, that aren't hers. Thing. And I was like, that's Dollhouse. That's Joss Whedon's other TV show, oh, Dollhouse. I haven't seen Dollhouse. Oh, dude, you got to watch it. Dollhouse is a banger, right? And I'm like, to me, I was suddenly like, holy shit, Dollhouse takes place in the same universe as Firefly. 100%. 100%. Oh, I, don't, cool. I don't know if this is a thing that other fans have already picked up on and there's probably like whole websites that go into this in great detail. But if there isn't, there should be. And somebody listening should do this because I do not have the time, patience uh, or the inclination to figure this out and my ADHD will make it too difficult. But someone should go through and try to make this work as a, as a, as a fan theory because I think it does. I think Dollhouse is a prequel to Firefly. I think they happen in the same universe. I love to watch it. I mean, I also love um, just that... that- idea of like looking at different shows and movies and that like fan head canon of having mm. things set in the same universe like i mean i know this one is canonically set in the same universe is spy kids and machete mm. on this on this topic i think that um outer worlds i think i think you could make the argument that um outer worlds takes place in if not the same universe but a similar one but i think outer worlds might be the same universe as firefly just just a bit later on and because keep in mind for, for Outer Worlds the whole thing takes place in one solar system that's been cut off from Earth so I'm like what if I they think, happen um, simultaneously what if the Firefly universe all went to one solar system and hang out there and the Outer Worlds guides ended up somewhere else entirely yeah, and they just like yeah. evolve simultaneously but in different ways I, my, I think my headcanon for the Outer Worlds is it's set in the same universe as Fallout oh I like that a lot I like that a lot but when okay so to make that work when did they when did they leave do you think before the war or did oh, they well actually i know because they they mentioned the year it's set in both so in um fallout it's set in like 27 or 25 something the outer worlds is set in like or maybe i'm thinking of firefly that's set in 25 something but anyway my headcanon is that um uh fallout is set in like the in like the um tw- 2200 something i think um after like because like it's it's all um fusion retro fusion sci-fi um and uh the bombs fell i think in the 2050s and it's set 200 years later so set in like 2200 yeah Um, the the game itself the games are all set in like i shouldn't say all of them but the main the main games before 17 uh or before the new 76 one were all set in around 2270s yeah um so my headcanon is that like Earth has been it is a wasteland, right? So it's been used up. So pe- so like further down the line, uh, it's progressed and people have taken to the stars, and then years later we're now in where Firefly is. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. I don't hate that. All right. I do. I, like I do idea. think that they have similarities. I mean, now now where the Outer Worlds is, not Firefly. I mean, yeah, Firefly yeah. could could probably exist in that universe. That's what I'm saying. I think it could. I think it could. I feel like yeah. I feel like um, the the nature of the Outer Worlds 
main story. And so like, again, huge spoilers, but like the idea that when you do, if you play through far enough and in the right way, you discover that the whole system is like on the verge of starvation, right? Yeah. They're not getting resupplies from earth. They're not hearing from earth. They're lacking the, the right types of people to be doing farming. They're losing the sort of knowledge. So like civilization's on the decline. They're on the way out, right? Which gives it a spiritual successor feeling to Fallout because Fallout is in the yeah. same sort of vein of like, they, they're just surviving. They're not excelling. They're not growing. And along comes this hero with this opportunity to be like, I can help. We can we can get things kicked off again. And um, so I found that really similar. And it's like Firefly doesn't have that necessarily, but it does have this inkling of society may not be necessarily on the decline, but like the type of society that they have is definitely on the decline. They're on the fringes. They're on the outskirts. They're trying to get away from big government and do their own thing. So they're trying to escape like homogeny. Yeah, that point specifically makes me think of Mad Max a lot. I definitely got some Mad Max vibes for sure. There's a lot in it that like feels- Like Mad Max 1, when they're on the verge of, of yeah. society collapse. Um, also, totally. and, and like the uh, the bounty hunter in the second last episode of Firefly, uh, mm. with, like the, with like the motorbike outfit, but space, gave me Mad Max vibes. And this the Reavers as well. Oh man, okay. So this was an interesting thing that I think I only worked out watching them so close together. Cause I remember when I would have watched Firefly, I, I sat through the three year gap, same as everybody else before the movie came out, right? Yeah. So I sort of forgot that we'd seen Ariva in the TV show. They yeah. have the episode where that guy gets this on is, board. This is he, another he plot point crazy. that they contradict on. Right, and I'm like, they sort of had to retcon that because that would seem to infer that the Reavers get to breed somehow. They make more Reavers, they capture people and that's where new Reavers come from. But in mm. the movie, they're like, no, no, it's from a specific colony where 10% of people went crazy, right? And so you're like, well then how do they make more? They, they don't have this gas, this, pro this process anymore. So we have a finite number of Reavers, which seems to be a plot flaw to me because then surely the Alliance government could have just killed them and they're like, oh no, no, that didn't happen because the Reavers were there intentionally. The Reavers were put there or at least allowed to stay there by the Alliance because it covers up what they did on that planet. And you're like, oh, I get it. But then it's like, well, then what was going on with that random Reaver ship floating around in the first few episodes? Well, yeah, so I, I don't mind what I did for the Reavers for the movie, but I much prefer the way it was like talked about or implied in the series where Reavers are people who have gone to the edge of space, mm. stared into the mountain of madness and went mad. Um, and then like when they commit their atrocities of everyone else and they leave one survivor, that survivor is like subjected to that horror mm. and, and goes mad as well. Yeah. Like, totally. it, it, it's like a beyond unimaginable horror in that mm. sense. And I think the implications for that in terms of like that story and those themes are really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. The other plot point I was going to bring up was, was about river. Um, <laughs> the idea with uh, Simon and river is that they're exceptionally talented um, and um, I don't want to use the word gifted actually because that, that's going to contradict what I'm about to talk about. But yeah. the, the whole idea is like they're, they're geniuses and they're smart and they can work everything out like that. And I thought that was that, I thought that was a really interesting thing. But then they kind of just kind of like kind of turned around on it and said, "Oh no, she's actually just psychic." Yeah, she's psychic. She just picks it up out of people's brains. That's why. Which is like okay, she is a genius, but only in the sense that she's just grabbing info out of people's heads, right? And yeah. maybe that's why she's a bit crazy. Is like she can't process it. And I like in the movie, they sort of explain that. And they're like, oh yeah, she's she's all jumbled up inside. So she knows what she's trying to say, but it's it comes out gibberish. She can't she can't piece it all together. I loved the episode too, actually, um, when she was put on a stake for being a witch. That was really interesting. And it, that had a lot of um, 
uh, almost modern feminist vibes of like the witches v patriarchy type type thing. Yeah, you know, they're like she's 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 a powerful woman that they don't understand. She's literally a witch. We got to burn her. I thought that was fascinating because up until that moment. She spends so much time just waking up and screaming and like flailing <laughs> she around. She does nothing up until that point. Yeah. And they finally gave her like something to be good at. And it's like, oh, why? She's really good at this. And it's like, yeah, because, you know, she's reading people's minds. And you're like, what? And then later on, they go, oh, no, she doesn't just read people's minds. It's uncontrollable for her. She's just leeching information out of people's heads constantly. She's full of secrets. Yeah. But I, I do think it was interesting they made her. Like for the whole show, right? You get like two episodes where she really shows off. She shoots a few people. She does some cool stunts, and really, that's just um, giving uh, Summer Glau a chance to show off her her amazing uh, flexibility and dance abilities and all sorts of stuff. In the movie, they finally were like, "All right, this is our last shot. We're not going to get another season of this. Let her let her cut loose. Really, let her sing." And let that her murder all those reavers, <laughs> right? Like that was unreal, <laughs> man. It was like what. Because again, which, which we also like, we saw some of it, but not all of it. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, that feels like uh, there was four or five seasons worth of TV that built up to that point, And we never, we never saw it, you know? And it's like, it, it, oh, okay. yeah, it was like, um, because you know, the TV series, her like waking up and like, uh, you know, going through all the trauma of what the government did to her and like, and, and getting used to her, get, like getting her bearings and getting used to her surroundings. And then the movie is her, is her like superhero moment. Yeah. She finally gets to be the star, um, but we hadn't we hadn't quite quite had that journey to get there entirely. Like they didn't quite earn it, so they just had yeah. to be like, ah, it happened off screen. She's always been like this, <laughs> and you're like, what? Okay, whatever, man. But I, I did I did like that the movie stayed with the the gray area bit, so that like Mal mm. was still kind of a piece of shit, even mm. though he was doing the right thing. He wasn't great about the way he went about it. And it ends up getting a bunch of people killed and like he feels like shit about it. And you're like, yeah, that felt very, um, it felt like they were playing into the trope really well of like being a sci-fi Western. They leaned into the Western bit. It felt yeah. very um, post, post-war post Western, like from the 60s, where they're like, we've had enough of white hat, black hat, good and bad. And now everyone's going to live in the gray. Everyone's going to be doing gray stuff. So that even then when the, when the villain of the piece, and I think Mal paralyzes him, if I've watched this correctly, he like breaks his spine. It's really brutal, but it's like, he doesn't want to kill him. So he like does that weird thing where he like flips him over and like breaks his back. Yeah. So something, so that, so that character with the sword does this like this, like weird hand jab. In, yeah. He, he, in, in he's pinching, back that he's pinching a specific him. nerve. Yeah. And then it's yeah. like Mal does the same thing back to him, but in a way more graphic way. Like in his neck. Yeah. Like it's fucked up. And I remember watching, I was like, Oh my God, you absolute savage. Have you ever seen later on where they're talking and walking? Yeah, like he obviously was fine, but you don't know that in that moment. In that it, moment, yeah, you're like, holy it came shit, Mal. really brutal. Wow, you should have just killed him. What the fuck? But then you realize why he didn't kill him, and it's because like five seconds later, all the soldiers burst in, and they're like, ah, you got to put your arms up. And the guy goes through the radio, and he's like, no, 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 it's chill. We're friends now. And it was like, that was a great moment to be like, yeah, they were both gray hats in the end. You know, they both did horrible shit, and they're not, neither of them are heroes. But mm. when the guy sees the video, he's like, okay, what they're doing is for the right reasons. I've been, I've been, uh, I know I've been a bad guy, but I've been working for even worse guys this whole that, time. Um, that ties back to one of the early episodes in the show, actually, when um, they're hired by that German character. Or that uh, massive to- walking cliche of a villain. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. He was so cliche. I love it. 
You're going to tell me everything you know because I'm going to cut it out of you. And they're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and they go to steal the shipment off the train. Actually, it's the second, it's like the first episode after the pilot. It's the, yeah. Um, it was the original re- first episode, the train job. Mm-hmm. And then they realize it's medicine for the town. As soon as they realize that their moral dilemma kicks in and they return yeah. the medicine. You realize too, if you watch it in the order that it's on Disney Plus, uh, that pilot, that hour and a half bit, Mal is an asshole, like way worse than he is for the rest oh, of the yeah. show. So I feel like they must have set it up or, or maybe the maybe it was written out of order and the whole design of it was that he was always supposed to be a bit of a prick and he gets better as the show goes on. But I then mean, he is still quite a bit of a prick throughout the entire show. No, he is, but he's way worse in that first episode. Yeah. Way like noticeably worse. And then I found it interesting that in the second episode, like if you okay, if you watch it as it is on Disney Plus, there's no explainer. The show opens on a war zone and that's the explanation that you're gonna get, right? Yeah. In the I second thought, episode I, when, when that scene was happening, I still thought it was a movie. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly there's the preacher guy and he's giving you the backstory. And it's like that's not a recap of what happened in the last season because there wasn't a previous season. This is the recap of what happened before the show begins, right? Yeah, it's so not it's, a recap, it's a setup. It's a setup. Out of nowhere, on episode eight, I think it is the intro explainer changes to being instead of the, the the preacher dude, it's Mal giving you the recap of what happened in history. And I was like, why? Where did that come from? All I could think of was that like, like it didn't make sense to me that they changed that. What was the reasoning? And all I could think of was like, most people must have just skipped it or been like, I didn't watch that because it was boring. I, I skipped most of them for each episode, but I do, I do remember noticing like, different episodes had either Shepard or Mal. Yeah. And you notice like there's a lot of character shifts that happen then as well. Mal becomes a lot more quippy and a lot funnier and less of an asshole. And then you're like, when we get to the movie, he's back to being a prick. And it's like, because that's his character arc. He has, Mm. he's meant to have been this guy that's like, you know, a bit of an anti-hero. He does the right thing or the, for the wrong reasons or the wrong thing for the right reasons. You love him, but you hate him, but you love him, but you still hate him. And then we get to the movie and they're like, okay, we have an hour and a half for you to really love this guy because he's going to do a horrible thing at the end of this movie. And you need to just really believe that he must be doing it for the right reasons. He breaks that guy's neck and you're like, oh my God, Mal, what, where did that come from? What are you doing? But then you're like, no, it's okay. It's okay. He didn't kill him and uh, it's going to be fine when you look at that point too like like for all intents and purposes for that stuff he is a horrible character mm. but then like Honora is still in love with him and 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 like it's very conflicted but it's like oh no but nathan finley and mal reynolds yeah, i need yeah. you like what it's so bizarre <laughs> i found fa- i found that um there's not, not necessarily similarities with outer worlds but i certainly found that uh my uh, getting to craft my character the way that i want playing as a bastard for the second time and really like not caring about uh, the outcome, I still did a few of the right things or like what I felt were the right things. Cause I was like, okay, I can, I can, the very first example is like the power generator for the town, right? Where you, yep. you have to decide where you're going to reroute power. The game makes you make a decision there of either this one, this one, or you make no choice. You can't, you can't walk away from the whole situation. There, there is, there is kind in. of a third choice there too. Well, the third choice is to not do anything, but then I, I haven't played. Well, no, no. The third choice you. is to convince Adelaide and her group to go to Edgewater and um, reintegrate with that group and bring them all together, rather than choosing one over the other. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but then I suppose that that you would still argue that that would be considered like a moral choice. Yeah, like, like that. That that's like the the good guy. That, mm. that that's meant to be like the the right choice to do. Yeah. Right. And so I'm like that. That seems like it makes sense. 
for the character to want for for, for a, a gray hat character to want to do but if you're playing as a bad guy is is the choice because this is where i got i was playing as an asshole to I was to play as a bad guy. so i was like yeah is there an option to kill everybody like i don't want to i don't want to keep any of them alive i think they're all garbage can, can mm. i kill everybody and it's like no you can't you can kill one or the other or you walk away you you can't kill everybody on the planet and I found that disappointing. But in the end, I, I did make a decision. I was like, you know what? I feel like even though I'm a bad guy and I murder people and I'm clearly not a good person, mm. the I wanted to keep the little, uh, the, 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 what were they doing? Like the botany place alive? Yeah, because the, they were- um, The greenhouse the, the people? The reveal yeah. for that plot line is that she's taking bodies from the cemetery and using corpses as fertilizer to grow- um, yeah food on this planet that otherwise has no good soil for it yeah and i was like that i still feel like uh even though i'm a horrible character that was a decision that i could comfortably make and so i was like in the end i think that growing up uh on on endless media of anti-heroes and uh and and hero characters i found it really difficult to be a truly evil person so i kept like even though i was doing bad stuff i kept making moral decisions and being like nah they're doing the right thing. I'm going, to, I'm going to keep them alive. And it was it was fascinating that you can get almost all the way through the game like that and be a true Mal Reynolds, absolute bastard of a person yeah. and treat people like shit. But every now and then you're like, nah, look, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do this, you know? I do like too, in the other words, that have um, Sublight being like this open criminal organization that you can take jobs from. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which felt like very in line with Firefly as well. Like it doesn't matter who it is, you're going to take the job. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe Firefly is, uh, or maybe no, it's the other way around. Maybe Outer Worlds is really just a Firefly simulator. Like it's 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 not designed to be a wholly new experience. It works so well because it capitalizes on our our inner space cowboy fantasies. Yeah, I it's like a unique it's a unique mix, right? So like mm. if you look at Fallout, and Fallout has. Especially the original Fallout, so very much like Mad Max vibes and inspiration. And you take Fallout to the, to, um, the Outer Worlds, and then you also take like Firefly into the Outer Worlds. Outer, the Outer Worlds is taking like all their favorite bits from these different things mm. and creating this unique blend of what um, they want, that, that what like you as a player can do what you want with. Um, so in that sense too, like, yeah, you can play The Outer Worlds and be like, I'm going to play this as Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly and you can have a great time doing that. Mm. And, and at the same time, you can play this as this dumb character from Fallout and also have a great time doing that. Actually, it's, a, it's an interesting point you make because it, it leans then much more into traditional RPG as opposed to video game RPG. Yes, which Fallout 4 doesn't do. I, I can see I can see Firefly and uh, Outer Worlds both working as an as old school tabletop RPG. Oh, like absolutely. Character sheets, dice rolling, the whole thing. Whereas I don't necessarily see that working in the Fallout universe. Or if it does, it doesn't work quite the same way. Certainly not the newer ones. Maybe Fallout 1 and 2 yeah. were much more structured like that. I need, I need to play Fallout 1 and 2. Um, I started playing the first one, but I didn't finish it. But Because I, I know in the original ones too, it is much more of that sense of like all your skills and your attributes and everything is like dice rolls. Um, you can pick up perks, um, as like you get this good side effect at the cost of this negative side effect yeah whereas um, the modern the more modern fallout games don't really have that well i shouldn't say that fallout new vegas certainly does but then that's that tie-in of like fallout new vegas is the spiritual precursor to outer worlds because it, yeah. it was the same so obsidian yeah. same developers who did new vegas specifically did the outer Worlds. yeah whereas um fallout 3 
is almost in a way a spiritual successor to the original Fallout games. Yeah. As opposed to being a direct sequel, it it doesn't because because it, it's not the same developers as the original. It's not the same developers, and it doesn't feel. Actually, I shouldn't say this. This is a horrible thing to say. It does feel like a classic Fallout game. It has the right vibe and the right tone, yeah. but the execution is different, and it, it it leaned away from a lot of those hard old school RPG vibes. Because Todd Howard at Bethesda, basically, they managed to get the the IP rights for for, for Fallout original games. And then, because their first big game was Fallout Three, and it was it was very much like their version of it. So like it's very different to the original games, but it is, it is still very much like Fallout in its essence. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't played it. I did buy it recently on sale, but Fallout seventy six I think does bring back the like here's like your good perk at the cost mm-hmm. of this negative side effect. I, I haven't touched it. It um it's again shameless plug. It's on Game Pass, but I haven't uh, haven't touched it um, because. I don't really have an interest in playing games as a service. Yeah. I say this I say this as someone who plays Destiny 2 basically yeah. every day. But it does feel different to me. De- Destiny 2 doesn't feel like a game as a service. And maybe that's because I'm in a clan and we play regularly and I love doing the activities. Fallout 76, because it's a game as a service, and I know there is a story, but it doesn't have an ending. It doesn't have a clear plot. I don't want to play an RPG as yep. a service. I want to play an RPG to experience a novel. I want to be told a story and I want to experience that story. I just, I don't find the gameplay loop of the Fallout games to be the reason that I play them. And that's what a game as a service relies on is that gameplay loop. So like, actually, this is a good point. Um, Outer Worlds is so effective because it doesn't actually matter how you play it. You're going to get an in-depth story. Even if you play as one type of character, you get a story. If you play as a bad character, you get a story. Because there's multiple stories to uncover and there's one through line or one main narrative that functions no matter how you play the game, right? Whereas something like the other Fallout games, like Fallout 3, Fallout 4, they don't have that same scenario in that um, how you play is going to affect the type of story you get, right? Instead, Fallout 3, for example, no matter how you play that game, the end of the game relies on one choice you make, either mm. this or this. Everything you did up to that point doesn't get taken into it. it Fallout matter. Three very much does like the black and white. Um, you're either yeah. good or you're bad. Um, yeah. Whereas these these and I think that that's that's my issue with something like Fallout seventy six is that it turns the the conceit of the game into the gameplay loop of I'm going to create a settlement and I'm going to defend it and i'm gonna go and uncover things to make my settlement better and i'm like you're just playing the sims in the fallout universe i don't mm. want to do that that doesn't seem fun to me that's not what and maybe that, that's just me being like i don't like those kind of games some yeah, people but do, also that's but not I, that's not what fallout is like that's not yeah. what fallout was was meant to be yeah exactly it's not because i don't like fallout it's because i don't like that kind of game yeah but that but like that's now the kind of game that bethesda wants to make yeah, I mean, because that's that's where the money is, man. Games as a service. Oh, baby, that's a license to print money. It's going to be really interesting to see how to do Starfield and um, the next Elder Scrolls in that sense. Mm. Um, well, I'm really, really hoping that um, Starfield in particular, I'm really hoping doesn't turn into a game as a service. And it's like, yeah, I, it's I just a, a really, feeling, really big RPG. I have a feeling after the backlash from Fallout 76, they're going to go back and stick to single player RPGs. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. One can only hope. And, and like there, as I said, there is a place where it's not. Yeah, it's not that I don't like uh, games as a service in general, but like I just don't play them. Destiny. Yeah. Destiny is honestly the only one I do. I don't get into Rainbow Six Siege. I don't get into Overwatch. I don't get into any of that stuff. 
you know i uh I, it's like for me i like reading books games are the same way i want to i want to play a game finish it and go oh wow that was amazing i used to play Hearthstone a lot and i really had to cut that out because it was it was bad like every three yeah. months they release an expansion which you have to buy if you want to keep up with the game and it's like in australia a hundred bucks at least to like just stay up to date every three months and it's like I mean, maybe, maybe yeah maybe that's it it's like it's it's it becomes a hobby in and of itself. And like Destiny 2 for me is kind of a hobby, but I do have to pace myself on it. If I find myself playing it too much, I got to put it down for a week, two weeks, a month. And that they the gameplay loop of that does actually work. And that idea of like, yeah, they release a new expansion, but it's like once a year, you got to pay a hundred bucks and then you get like two years worth of content. I'm okay with that. I'll do that. But the fact that it went free to play means that you don't have to do that. Mm. I'm like defending Destiny 2 here. Like it needs to be defended, but like it feels different to me um, but I do reach a point where I go, God damn it, I'm playing too much Destiny 2. I'm not playing anything else. What am I really playing this for? I'm not getting anything out of it other yeah. than that re- repetitive dopamine hit. I, um, and that's not interesting to me. I mean, like my go-to game all the time, um, which I started playing when when it was premium, but then it went free to play, is Team Fortress 2. Um, mm. Which, uh, oh God, I, w- I wish Valve kept updating games because they've abandoned that game so much. But it's it's my it's one of my favorite games. Um, yeah, it went it went free to play at one point. I think it was like the first game that did like crates and unboxing as well. I think so. Yeah. Um, and then just seeing like how that's affected like the games industry as a whole now mm. with, with all the games as a service and like loot boxes and and all the all the gambling um restrictions that have been enforced in different countries now as well, like specifically to do with loot boxes and games. Mm. It's interesting. Well, that's actually a good point. If you look at uh, something like Fallout seventy six, and it has loot boxes, it has an in game store, it? it has all that uh, stuff, and it's all it's all <laughs> they 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 was backlash at first, and they've changed it. I can't remember how they fixed it. I, I'm going to get this wrong, so I'm not going to do it justice. But there was some sort of kerfuffle early on about the way that that worked, and um, it got fixed. Right, something happened, and the game is much better now than it was at launch. Apparently, it was hot trash and a buggy mess, full of microtransactions at the beginning. Now it's not. Okay. But it still has it still has loot boxes. It does this thing where you can buy a certain amount of in-game currency and unlock a bunch of cosmetics and blah 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 blah. And that's how they that's how they keep making their money to keep keep Is the game. It's kind of similar to how Bethesda wanted to monetize mods. Yeah, pretty much. It's it all it all comes out of that. Do you remember the horse armor from yeah. uh, Oblivion? It must have been yeah. what a what a joke, right? It's been happening ever since. <laughs> and I think that that's the bit that worries me about something like um, uh, Starfield, right, or or, or uh, Elder Scrolls Six, is that the precedent's there. They know how to do it well. And I feel like that's what's going to happen is that like Starfield runs the risk of being a single player RPG that somehow still has loot boxes. Mm. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want I, you, you one or the other I'm happy with. You can either give me Outer Worlds and be like, this is the game. It comes in a box and everything that you want is in it. I'm like, great. I'm happy with that, right? If you want to add mods and a marketplace and open up creativity, that's great. I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. But I don't, I don't want to have to do that in order to experience yeah. the game. Or you give me games as a service and I can just go, that's not for me. I don't want to have this weird hybridization where something can be single player but still have loot boxes. The fuck is that about? I don't want that. Didn't Shadow of Mordor or Shadow of War do, do that as well? Yeah, but I had a really interesting way to implement it. And again, I'm not going to defend it because I didn't like that they did it. I do think it was shit. But the execution was brilliant in that um, there was a way to earn in-game all of the cool shit that you could pay to get. And so it had this idea of like, if you are a 30 year old dad who only gets to play for two hours a week, you make enough money to just say, fuck it. I'm going to drop 50 bucks on this game. 
to buy it and I'm going to drop another 50 to unlock a bunch of cool shit and I'm just going to have fun with it, right? That's a decision that you can make. And I, I, I approve of that in the sense that time is finite and not everybody has it and there should be a way to turn on easy mode. And that, that's basically like- what that was. With that um, specific example too, a lot of the times when uh, games have like, you can earn this just by playing playing in game, but then like the amount of hours to grind to actually get that uh, versus the cost of buying it in the in-game shop is like, it might be like 20 to 30 hours of grinding to get this one specific item, mm-hmm. or you could spend $2 and get it immediately. That happened to Battlefront 2, do you remember? They, uh, somebody did the math on, I think it was Darth Vader. And they're like, in order for you to yeah. unlock Darth Vader, you would have to play like 400 hours or something ludicrous. Yeah, yeah. Like that. I think, I think that's, um, probably where I'm thinking about this example. I just didn't yeah. think, I didn't remember, remember the specific one. That's what it was. So, like Shadow of Mordor and, and Shadow of Middle Earth, they don't have that, um, specific problem in that it's, it's, it's only in the sequel really that they do this loot box type situation, but it's very, very easy to earn the bits mm. that you need to unlock it. And the bits that you unlock aren't really that impressive versus the bits that you just get naturally playing. Like you do unlock some cool characters and stuff, but they're they're not. It's not um, stuff that you need to play. That's going to make playing easier. It's just interesting. And so I was like, that works for me. Whereas stuff like that, where like Battlefront Two, where it's like, okay, you want to play as Darth Vader, you can either give us fifty bucks or play for four hundred hours. I'm like, that's a joke. That's ludicrous. You are taking the piss. Right. And I find like God. I'm worried about that happening with things like Starfield, where it's like, if you want to unlock the fastest ship in the game, you can drop 50 bucks or play for a fucking six months and you'll unlock it. I don't want to do that. Like, I, I appreciate easy mode and I want to be I like, OK, this is where I'm torn on the fence, right? Because I'm like, you should be able to earn it through playing, but it shouldn't take you a ludicrously long amount of time. It to should be that. achievable. Should be achievable. Right. Yeah. If I if I have the money to drop, I will. Right, like, like I make enough money in my day-to-day job that I, I can look at a game and go, do you know what? I really love that cosmetic. I will pay $5 for that. I will do that. Mm. But I shouldn't have to to win the game. Like it shouldn't be paid to win definitely. And it, it, it shouldn't be at a point where it's like uh, gambling. I don't want to have to buy a loot box and take a chance that I'm going to get what I want. I want to be able to say, no, no, I want that thing. I will pay you for that thing and that thing only. Or I should be able to go, I don't want to pay you any money. I should be able to earn it by playing for a week. And there it is, right? Like easy yep. mode and pay, paying to win shouldn't be like actually paying to win. It's paying to to entertain yourself quicker. Yeah. Right? That works for me. Pretty much. And and I like the idea of it being like purely cosmetics. This is where FIFA ran into all these problems where like the star players, the players that you want, your Ronaldo's and stuff, you can only oh, get those man. through your loot boxes and it's a random chance. It's a, it's a 2% chance of getting the character that you want. So people end up spending thousands of dollars on FIFA to unlock a fucking soccer player. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Are the different characters in that game, is it aesthetic or is it like- No, they have um, stats. They have actual stats. And oh, so it's like, okay. it really becomes pay to win. Someone who has these characters in their, or these players in their team is going to play better than what what someone else does. And it becomes- Yeah, see, like, that, I, hate, I really don't like that. Yeah, um, it's stupid. I'm, I'm hoping with Starfield, because it's a brand new IP that Bethesda is working on, that I hope they take creative um, risks, kind of like they did with Fallout in terms of like the world building and the, and the story and, and the characters mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But I'm hoping because it's something new that they don't take risks in terms of the money making in the business. Mm. They know what works well. It's their single player RPGs. That's what they shine out for. Yeah. Stick to that. You know, you know what would be funny? I just thought of an idea and like someone's probably already had this and decided it's a terrible idea. But wouldn't it be funny or at least entertaining if something take take like Outer Worlds, right? 
mm. and go, right, if we were going to add microtransactions to this, you would have to do it in a way that is meta to the game. And so yeah. if I were going to do it, I'd be like, right, let me play, let me choose to play as a character who works for one of the corporations, right? And then let me pay extra money to unlock cool, ridiculous shit that is not accessible to the rest of the game. And you're now buying into <laughs> the the capitalist nature of the story That'd by be saying, really funny. right? And be like, I'm going to pay an extra, it'd be, you'd have to charge a stupid it'd, amount. It'd too. be really meta. Yeah, you'd, well, ha- you'd have to charge a really stupid amount. It couldn't be like 20 bucks. You'd have to be like, to play as this character and do this playthrough, you have to drop another $100 on the game. And then it's really only people who have, honestly, stupid money to spend. Well, also, you know what else that would do is it would uh, get a lot of press and articles about it. So it's free press for the game. And it could be funny. You could do a thing where like, I don't see, the problem is you would have players probably like me who would go, that's bullshit. I should be able to access all that content without having to pay extra. And like, maybe you're right. But I think it's funny. I think it's very funny. If you had like a ludicrously expensive playthrough. To be honest. Imagine, okay, imagine, even better. Imagine if you do that with Cyberpunk. Because it's taking it to the extreme, right? Yeah. it's, It's like, it's making fun of the system, like in the way that you're using the system. Um, and taking a piss. It's yeah, great. I think it'd be funny. if, or Especially if all it did was unlock like a couple of cool guns and some dialogue options and that's it. It does Pretty nothing much. else. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the actual stuff you get is like bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be funny. Do you remember? It reminds me of like the apps that people used to get away with making where you could you could put an app on the app store that was $1,000 to buy and all it did was show a picture of a diamond and the whole point of it was it was to show how rich you were that you could buy a $1,000 app and not give a shit. They ended, I think they ended up getting banned off the app store, but for a while, that was the whole thing. I think it was so funny because there are people out there who have too, too much money. And I'm like, I think it's yeah. funny. Imagine if they did it with cyberpunk, right? The dream of cyberpunk was that each of those three things you could choose at the beginning, the corpo, the street rat and the whatever, yeah. were going to have completely different storylines. That would be so good if the corpo version of the game cost an extra hundred bucks and you you had to really buy into it. And like, not only are you going to role play it in the game, you're going to role play it in real life. You're going to pay more money to have that experience because you yeah, are see, a corpo. Project Red is going to shake you for it. Yeah, I think that's hilarious. I don't know if it would ever work. And like, there'd have to be a game developer brave enough to have a crack at it. It'd, it'd be very controversial, but I think oh, like I, I would love that. I would I, love yeah. like I wouldn't want to be the, the studio doing that, but I would love to see someone do that. It'd be horse armor all over again. But I think if you did it right and you were like, yes, it is horse armor 2.0, intentionally so. If you want to deck your horse out in the latest platinum bling, you will pay fifty dollars. And and people be like that's unfair. Like it is unfair. That's the whole point. Yeah, we're trying to make fun of late stage capitalism, and yeah, it is dumb. Paying a hundred bucks for a cosmetic in a video game is the dumbest shit you're ever going to do. But if you've got that money to burn, you'll do it and you'll show off your your expensive horse well, armor. There, won't you? there are there are a lot of those like freemium games too that specifically just target whales in terms of like they're targeting yeah. the people who will spend a thousand dollars. They're not targeting the people who are going to complain yeah. and not spend two dollars fifty because they they're, they're not even worrying about you. They they just as long as the one yeah. percent actually gets it, then that's all they need. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a gross system, but that, that's that's what's happening more and more often now. It, it, wor- it works for me in that sense of um, playing it into that meta and being like, okay, if Firefly and Outer Worlds are both meant to be like gray hat, space cowboy jank, and they both mm. absolutely excel in that territory. Like they, they crush it, they're owning it. I'm like, how do you then take that to its next logical extreme? How do we do Firefly in the modern age? How do we do the Outer Worlds, but even more? 
And I'm like, they must be doing because I know they're working on the Outer Worlds too, and I can't wait to see what they come out with. I loved the teaser for that, by the way. Right, like me as a creative, <laughs> I I don't know how I would top that. It's I'm not I'm not creative enough to know where to take that next. But oh my god, that teaser sold it because they did go meta. They were like they made a teaser that made fun of that sort of shit. Yeah. I'm like, like that's like, really all you like can here's do. a here's a silhouette uh, wide shot of a main character because our development team hasn't decided what the final design of it's going to be yet. Yeah, I, if if they don't have some kind of hilarious meta joke about microtransactions in Outer Worlds two, I, I will eat a sock because I just I think they have to. Like you know what you know another thing um, that. Uh, stood out to me or I thought was interesting uh, with both the other ones and Firefly or, or like anything like sci-fi is what they name the currency in Firefly in Firefly it's bits mm. and in the outer worlds it's units mm. and it's just like I, I love seeing like all the creative names that like different games and different movies and shows come up with just for the currency mm. yeah I mean isn't that funny because um, I've been watching a lot of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks and they get into the the off-screen realm of Star Trek a lot more because the, mm. the premise of the show is that these are not the bridge officers; they're the lower decks officers. It's the guys who have to clean shit up and they go and do secondary activities. Oh, that's and cool. It's a really good conceit because they get to explore parts of the Star Trek universe that we've never seen on camera before. Because mm. we always follow the captain and the first officer. What are the rest of the the ship crew doing while we're tackling galaxy-ending threats? Well, they're going and collecting the garbage and shit. Like that's what they do. It's fascinating to me because they Star Trek has a weird problem that they vaguely solved. I think it must have been in The Next Generation they got around to fixing this, is how does currency work in a post-scarcity world? So in the Star Trek future where it's a utopia, it's post-scarcity, right? You've got a replicator. I can replicate as many Korean fried chicken dishes as I want. I don't have to pay for anything. So how do we do currency? How do we do value exchange, right? And in the end, they had to create this conceit that there's a specific element called latinum. And if you gold press it, it can't be replicated. It's one of the only things in the whole Star Trek universe that a replicator cannot create, which means it's currency. It cannot be replicated or cheated or faked. It has value because it's a unit of currency that can be exchanged because you know what it's worth. It's worth something, right? I think it's fascinating because we never find out what latinum is actually worth it doesn't have a dollar exchange because there are no dollars to exchange for it so every now and then they come across stuff where it's like you know what are they what are they selling in the shops in the space stations are they charging people for beer at the bar in the space pod because not everybody has replicated technology somebody is making beer and selling beer and somebody is buying that beer what are they using using gold pressed latinum what does that mean who knows we see it in the show and it's literally just like they look like gold bars i think it's brilliant they just went with like at some point you have to have a goods exchange and we can't figure out how to solve that problem in which not everyone is post scarcity if only some people have replicators how do you deal with currency and they're like yeah we figured it out but it's just they just made up a unit they were like yeah it's gold bars we gave it a different name it's gold press latinum what does that mean it means gold bars it's the same fucking thing the other thing uh, that stood out to me on that note in Firefly is like when uh, Reynolds is like negotiating for the price on a job and then they agree <laughs> yeah. to it. And then like whoever's buying it literally just tosses him a bag of coins yeah. without without counting it out after settling on the price or whatever. And it is, they're, they're just like silver silver coins. Just silver like, coins, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's like, so yeah, 25 for each piece of cattle and it's so what, 30 cattle? Yeah, cool, here you go. Here's like this small bag of coins. <laughs> yeah, but it works because it's like currency is inherently meaningless, right? Like paper money, yeah. plastic money, it doesn't mean anything numbers in your bank account it's ones and zeros man we just make shit up so it's this idea that like in the far future 
money is still meaningless. We, it, well, it is, I mean, money is only valuable because everyone agrees on its value. Yeah, and I like this idea society that like- Society you know, only works on that point because everyone says yes to the same premise. Yeah, and it's like, it works in a post-scarcity world because you're like, okay, well, I can, I can replicate as much beer as I want, right? And if I could just be like, uh, computer, replicate me 500 cases of beer. And it will, it will do that. It will just keep pumping them out. That's great, right? So you go, okay, well then what, what stops me from just selling that beer? I didn't have to make that. I'm just making money for free at that point. And you're like, yeah, you are. But what are you going to do with the money? You have a replicator. What are you buying? Right? Like you like, don't yeah, like need what, it. What need do you have? Yeah. So it kind of works that like it can't be replicated, which means Starfleet can't just endlessly print money. But when they need to trade with people who don't have replicators, they have to have a stockpile of gold pressed latinum for that specific purpose. And it kind of was like, oh yeah. So yeah, it's just made up. It's just made up currency, but it kind of works. And so like any sci-fi, you can immediately just be like, all right, they use uh, chits. What's a chit? I don't know. Yeah. It's a small plastic coin made of antimatter. Really? Yeah, fuck it. Why not? It doesn't there's matter. A, there's a, <laughs> um, in Rick and Morty, in one of the early episodes, when they go to um, like the, the Jack, uh, Jack and the Giant Beanstalk. Oh yeah, type, yeah, yeah, yeah. Type dimension, and they're and they're in like the little uh, pub. Yeah, and they're they're looking to get like a ride up the thing, and like the the um, snail character from yeah. that dimension is like, I'll take you up for twenty five schmeckles. And Rick yeah. is like, I w- what is that? Is that a lot? I have no equation of like how much that is in dollars and all this kind of stuff. They immediately they immediately solve that problem by having the booby uh, valuer. The guy being like, that booby is worth this much schmeckles. And they're like, oh, a boob is worth, okay. Straight away, you can compute and be like, okay, well, if those boobs are worth that many schmeckles and that ride is worth that many schmeckles, that's yeah. a lot of schmeckles. Okay. Like zero point of reference, but because we know vaguely, we think we value things in a specific way inherently the universe over, we can go, oh yeah, that feels like a lot of schmeckles. Yeah. I think I think um, with that specific schmeckles point in Rick and Morty 2, I think the creators did uh, like put out like a... a earth like a us dollar um oh, i wouldn't surprise me if yeah if they hadn't the fans would have for sure i think it was something like a couple thousand dollars per schmeckle yeah that checks out it it, <laughs> it it makes sense that they would do that that's very uh very rick and morty to to have deep lore in a nonsensical universe i love it it's kind of the opposite yeah. really of like firefly and uh outer worlds then in the sense that like they they have a deep lore but it, they don't want to be nonsensical about it they're trying to make it make sense but they, but they also are being nonsensical in that sense, right? Like they name that currency a dumb word like schmeckles. Yeah. yeah. Um, they do the thing of Rick saying wubba lubba dub dub as a stupid catchphrase, but then but then they take that one step further and say it's actually him expressing sadness and pain. Yeah. And it's like in the Outer Worlds and Firefly, we, we understand the inherent, uh, not nonsensical, but the inherent surrealness of their situation. They're in space. Why is space janky? Because it's Wild West space. Okay. So we buy into that conceit very quickly and they, they play it straight. Their universe plays straight. Whereas the Rick and Morty universe gets to embrace its insanity. It doesn't have to play it straight. It is it is a self-aware, surreal comedy. So you're like, oh, they're different things. But it kind of works in like the outer worlds gets to just really crank that comedy all the way up to 11. Whereas Firefly mm. doesn't. Firefly sits there at like a five or six comedy being like, no, 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 no. We are a a vaguely comedic space sci-fi drama. We have melodrama. We have serious moments. The Outer Worlds is like, you're going to have serious moments if you look for them, but you could just play this as a completely nonsense uh, Firefly's like a space opera. 
I don't, I, I don't know if I would call it a space opera necessarily. We could get into some tricky territory of how do you define space opera. I don't. I, I mean, I don't. I don't specifically know the definition of like that. That phrasing of space yeah. opera. I might need to look into it more. You can look um, into it more, but I'm going to tell you now. I, Firefly is not a space opera. It, okay. it it doesn't have the the easiest way to measure it is like the stakes are just not high enough to be a space opera. Space opera is by its nature operatic. It has to be. Space opera is like melodramatic right. as fuck, and it's got the most ridiculous stakes. You know, could you, could you give, me, give me an example? Well, okay, like Dune. Dune's a space opera. It's yeah, like okay. world-ending, yeah. galaxy-changing, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. You know, it's just ridiculously high. Like everything high is at its stuff. highest possible stake. Exactly, everything is high stakes. Everything is world-ending. That's a space opera. Something like Firefly right. is much more low stakes. The stakes are local to them. It's important to them, incredibly high stakes for Mal and his crew. But if the Firefly blew up, would the rest of the galaxy give a shit? No. Doesn't mean anything. I, I do love that um, that one particular episode too, Out of Gas. Where like, oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, think that, I think that was the standout episode for me. That was incredibly well yeah, done. Yeah, man. That one, and I think uh, that, that, that led into a lot of... You, you could draw a fine line between that episode and a bunch of other more recent sci-fis that have leaned in off of that concept of yeah. like doing a bottle episode in space or doing this concept of like, we're going we're gonna to put the crew in a situation that seems inescapable and the stakes have never been higher, but it also is just them. It doesn't yeah. affect everybody else. And suddenly like if you they get did just, all just die there. Now you're pulling no out one else these, would, these would character moments. Notice. Yeah. Yeah. No one else would even hear oh. about it for months. Yeah, exactly. I think that's there's a lot of more modern sci-fi that has uh that, that pays homage to that and has a lot to to thank for stuff like that. Where like I'm sure Firefly, someone in the comments maybe will rip me apart for this and be like, Star Trek did it first, whatever. Everyone did it first, someone else did it first. I know, I'm aware. But my point is that for people like me who grew up watching Firefly uh and Star Trek the Next Generation instead of Star Trek the original series. For mm. me, this is the bit that inspired me. And so like, if I'm doing work on sci-fi, I'm not thinking about Star Trek, the original series or Star Wars. I'm thinking about Firefly. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, that, that, that realm. I'm thinking about Stargate, man. That to me, that's, that's sci-fi that I grew up with. And so it feels different. And yeah, it probably does pay homage to a lot of earlier stuff, but I hadn't seen that on TV. I hadn't yeah. seen an episode of serialized television behave that way and use its characters in that way and it did change stuff man i was like oh wow i didn't know tv could do that and then you see stuff like doctor who doing that as well yeah 100%. Um, like uh, like there's an episode of doctor who uh with peter capaldi's doctor where he's in that labyrinth and he's stuck in that kind of like time loop yeah um and i think in the end it's uh shown that he's been doing it for like billions of years billions and, of years and, and, yeah and then he, 100%. And he gets out and then he's on gallifrey yeah, as like this huge plot point reveal, and it was—I mean, yeah. So like that that kind of bottle episode, but like it's it, it's incredibly high stakes for this one character, and it's it's just amazing. I love yeah, it. Absolutely. Well, look, I think uh, let's let's maybe get towards wrapping it up. We're we're we're, yeah. we're we're running on time here a little bit, but I think then it's safe for for, for in, in terms of like bringing this episode to a focal point. I feel like it's safe to say that Firefly and the Outer Worlds work really well as a companion oh, yeah. piece. They they both excel at what they're trying to do and what they're trying to do feels very similar. I feel like you could do one and not the other, but you would be doing yourself a massive favor. If you're a fan of one and you haven't seen or heard of the other, you should get into it. The Absolutely. Outer I'll, Worlds I'll... will scratch that Firefly itch and vice versa. 
it yeah, it kind of blew me away on like how much unexpectedly they worked so well together. Yeah, I I, I knew that they were similar, but I hadn't clicked on how alike they were going to be. They're so complementary, you know. Yeah. Oh god, it it was just like a like a plus. They were they were amazing. I mean, I say a, anyway. I loved it. It was. Great. I'll say a plus. Um, Firefly has massive problems in terms of uh, how well it aged for sure, but. If you and again, if you separate the art from the artist, yeah, and you yes. look at uh, and you look at them as a pairing, fantastic, fantastic, it's absolutely amazing. fantastic. And for what it was doing at its time, man, Firefly was like cutting edge shit for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been the Outer Worlds and Firefly. Thanks everyone for listening. This one went for a little bit um, longer. We're currently at like a little bit over two hours in recording. I'll see how it looks when I cut it down. But yeah, I I love this one. I'm I'm gonna be very curious to see what we do next as well. And we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.